0: Hi everyone, welcome to episode 31 of The Green Room. Uh, I'm here with my colleague Nick. How are you, Nick?
1: I'm very well, James.
0: Excellent. Uh, You okay? I'm very good, thank you. I'm very good. Uh, We've had a little bit of a recess over the Christmas period, uh, and now we are going to start doing the podcast again. Um, So today what we we thought we'd do is tie up a few loose ends, so we get sent loads of questions uh, over... You know, every week basically. Um, and so we thought we'd take some of these questions and see if we can give a few answers. Um, obviously, we don't know. Everybody. Yeah, but
1: also, James, it's important to say because we've just come from Christmas, uh, happy belated New Year to you as well. <laughs>
0: thank you very much. I mean, uh, it's very belated, but thank you. Uh,
1: I would say these questions and uh, queries. Built up in the inbox over Christmas. Because, you know, after you've done with your turkey and your presents. What else have you got to think Email about? Email the, the green thing? age. Exactly.
0: Email the green age. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So, we're just going to take them one by one, basically. Um, and and then see how we get on.
1: However, before we do start. Ah, yes. One of the most important things of these podcasts. Is how can people find out, listen to us, watch us, those sorts of things?
0: Well, to watch us, you can go to our YouTube channel and just type the green one. If you'd like to listen to us, uh, you can go onto Podbean uh, and you can actually find us there. Again, type the green room or the green age and you'll find us. Uh, otherwise, you can go to Spotify, um, you can go to iTunes, uh, iTunes Podcast, I think it's called. You can go to Stitcher and you can go to TuneIn Radio. To name but a few.
1: But James, because I'm always forgetful about these acronyms, how do I always reset and, and find out about our podcast? What's you go favorite? to our website, don't you? Exactly. You love our website. Love um, our so you
0: go to our website, and at the top there's a little button that says podcast, click on it, and hey presto, all options appear for you. Yes. So, without further ado, episode 31. Here we go.
1: So, Q&A. First... first Top of the inbox uh, was a boiler eco-query. So eco-energy company obligation is a government subsidy scheme, which is running for about two to three years, I think.
0: Yeah. So shall I just, the background of this question. Mm. So, and we've taken all the names off this, but she, a lady sent an email in basically saying her um, elderly relative had been, so someone had come around and offered her a new boiler. But there had to be some. She had to make some financial contribution, Mm -hmm. and she asked us if this was a scam.
1: Was that lady's um, relative? Was she on one of the entitlements?
0: She was on one of the entitlements, yes. Um, But basically, the answer is, it depends. Okay, fine. And what does it depend on?
1: So it depends on the well. So when you when when a reputable company that's registered to install these apps applications and boiler schemes under the under this um, government initiative, they will go and survey the property. Mm-hmm. They will look at, okay, right, you know, if I was to, with this location of boiler, the type it's got, the radiators, the heating system, if I replace it, mm-hmm. this will be my full installation cost. Yeah. Now, the eco scheme gives an arbitrary value of what each property is worth. So, for instance, the way they've set the scheme up, They've said, right, okay, you've got different types of houses out there like terraced, semi-detached, detached, yeah. and flats. And based on those criteria, they've assigned a monetary value of what they think a heating system replace. sorry, a a heating device, which is the boiler, yeah. will cost to replace. Now, if that company that's installing it finds that there's additional works there, for example, with low pressure and they might need to install a pump or something like that, or they yeah. need to do some work with, with, with pipe work, it may cost more than what the government assigned as the cost of what they're willing to fund for that measure.
0: So basically there is a discrepancy between how much the works would cost and how much funding they get.
1: Yes, and it might well be that actually what the arbitrary value is, it, uh, is more than what, what it costs for, for that. But other. presumably
0: the installer doesn't give you that money back.
1: Ha <laughs> well... <laughs>
0: So the, so basically, if it works in their favour, they take the money. Mm-hmm. If it works the other way, i.e., you know, it costs two thousand pounds for a new boiler. However, they're only going to get fifteen hundred pounds for the type of property this person has. The customer would have to pay five hundred pounds. So with this, um, it's uh, there is potentially some contribution that people do need to make. On the whole, um, they will try and get it to as low as possible. So they'll give you a choice of boilers and that sort of thing. So they can give you a, a cheaper option of a boiler and all, mm-hmm. all this sort of thing to try and bring it down to make it affordable. But yes, there may be some contribution. It doesn't necessarily mean a, doesn't necessarily mean a scam.
1: Okay.
0: So that's that's one. Yeah, good. Then we had right. So we had uh, we had this one this morning, mm-hmm. and this was about. So this was someone who that's is phone call so this is a cavity wall mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. so this is uh they had cavity wall insulation and they were worried about it because there were sort of cold spots in their house mm. and they wanted to put external wall insulation on have i jumped ahead that's the are next you- one
1: no this is just i think this was the one that came in are you thinking about the one that called well let's it? jump to that one because yep. okay. to explain
0: it. do you need to have the question was do you need to remove the existing cavity wall insulation before you put the external wall insulation on?
1: If, so I would say if the cavity wall installation was installed correctly. Yes. And the property over time has not had any behavioral change, i.e. You know, it's not had any damp spots or anything like that. It is good to have external wall insulation because at the end of the day, if you add more insulation to it.
0: Like a thicker jumper.
1: Exactly, it's going to be a good thing. If obviously you've been beset by issues with it, um, it's well worth having someone reputable like a, a, a structural surveyor go out, have, have to take some photos, do a boroscopic inspection. This is where they uh, drill into a tiny piece of mortar or you know, look, look, look at the condition of why potentially you know, that, that, that wall is, is, being having, or is having those issues.
0: And uh, let's, let's remind people that the cavity walls, initially, they got kind of introduced in the 1930s. And their sole purpose at that time was to stop damp travelling from the outer leaf to the inner leaf. And so water would obviously get through the outer leaf and then travel down due to gravity because there was nothing in the space, and therefore you wouldn't have any water ingress into the house.
1: Quite popular in, in the westerly parts of the country because they are in our high-exposure area, so you get lots of a, Atlantic... Um, weather currents driving rain driving yeah yeah which you don't see to be honest in London well you do sometimes right, but yes. but not on a, I mean if you go out to say the west coast of Ireland I mean it's a nearly daily occurrence yes yeah here it's probably twice a year phenomenon
0: yeah so but the, the cavity wall um, you know cavity wall insulation got introduced in the 70s late 70s and uh, they were basically building houses with cavity wall insulation already in situ um, some with new houses when they build cavity walls they tend to if it's uh, like a phenolic foam they would attach the insulation to the inner um, leaf so there is still a small actual cavity mm-hmm. between the outer leaf the insulation and then the inner leaf uh, which allows for that water to water to drop down and away from the property um, it's I think the, really the issues with cavity wall insulation come with uh, incorrectly install mm. cavity wall insulation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is on, if, if you're in, you know, these kind of areas you're talking about, these coastal areas, and you inject insulation into the walls, yeah. you're potentially creating pathways. You're filling the cavity completely and you're potentially creating pathways mm-hmm. for water mm-hmm. to pass through the outer leaf, across the insulation, into the house. Um, and that's, that's really where you have an issue. So... If you had the choice and you have cavity wall insulation, and it's all good. Would you remove it before the EWI or leave it there?
1: So if I've had issues with it. No, no, if you haven't had. Any if issues. I had not, I would. I I wouldn't. I would. Um, obviously, get the installer to check out the property again. Yeah. And make sure any vents are extended. So make sure the ventilation is right, and then yeah, potentially add a thicker thicker jacket. Now, well, if, if you- up to a point. Obviously, if you go too much insulation, then you're you're sealing the elements inside. So you've got a there's a there's a toss up there. So there's a lot of talk about passive houses, but in passive houses, they they also have mechanical ventilation systems, mm-hmm. which which allows for the airflow. So actually, while the fabric is amazingly insulated, you've still got to cater for the airflow. So so there is a certain point there where you put too much insulation onto an existing property, and you Hamper the ability of it to, you know, for, for for the internal air movements. So you need to think about ventilation and air, internal air quality as well.
0: Now we went on a course recently. We went on a course to learn about U values. It's pretty exciting. And uh, when we were there, they were talking about so if you if you do it, remove the cavity wall insulation because it's faulty before you apply external wall insulation. If the cavity is open and you put 150 mil of external wall insulation on the cavity, yeah, on the outside of the cavity. So in theory, you've gone over and above what you need to, and you have a hugely well-insulated property. It makes no difference. That insulation is not doing anything. The reason is, is obviously there's a cold air current just flowing up and down the cavity. So if you're going to remove the cavity wall insulation and install EWI, you need to have a closed cavity. Um, so that's worth mentioning. So if you do get a company to come and remove the cavity wall insulation, and they basically do this normally if it's wool, they do it with a giant vacuum machine. Uh, if, they do, if it's kind of more of a rigid insulation, uh, they have this machine that flicks back and forward and breaks the insulation down, but they suck it out. But they can close the cavity at the same time. So it's worth mentioning that to them to, to ensure they mm, do that. Yeah. Because the last thing you want to do is spend 10, 15 grand... Putting external wall insulation on your house, and for it not to do anything. Yeah. Okay. Next.
1: So again, yeah, I think this was an emailed one. You jumped ahead of a question about suitability, which I think you've answered. The only thing, oh, so sorry, suitability of cavity wall insulation to a property. What I would say there is, so you are talking about the um, Wesley properties and 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 the high exposure areas. So obviously, there I would you know treat that with caution. But also, I think one or two properties were done with the wrong type of fabric. So for instance, the property was had a cavity, but it was timber frame. Yeah. So if you add then material into that cavity, which is there to allow the building fabric to breathe, to breathe. Yeah. you're effectively closing off that breathability, and therefore that's caused issues further down the line. Also, if the cavity's got rubble, so it's worth cleaning out, and then looking at potentially installing cavity insulation materials as well. Um, so you know, try and um, obviously speak to the manufacturers of the systems uh, that that inject the cavity wall insulation, and see you know talk about their um, manufacturers' guarantees and approved installers. Mm-hmm. Basically, get that audit trail and documentation uh, to to cover yourself. You know, yeah. Should should you know, should something go yeah.
0: Right. Next question. So we um, had this is this is one. There there are some creams that you can put on the outside of properties, uh, and they're they're kind of these miracle creams that allegedly increase energy efficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, so, do you want to do this, one or should I do this one? I'll just briefly
1: mention the context. So this one we had, and you were there with me. We were at a trade show about a couple of couple of months ago, mm-hmm. and the part of the country that we were at is basically a lot of properties are of stone traditional stone construction so there's really not much you can do to it um, so you can't effectively cover and render yeah because recently. visually but also local authorities would not allow you to to change mm. the appearance of the property so that so they would we're debating basically with the public about the effectiveness of these um, water 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 repellent creams and And, uh, you had some good suggestions there
0: well so the water repellent cream so basically they're a hydrophobic cream right so what you're doing is making your house waterproof but they're still breathable um so they're a a silicon-based product you apply it and then if water hits the walls it won't be absorbed by the brick or block work it will just be repelled because they're hydrophobic now a wet through a wet through a wet material, heat travels faster, right? So, if I have a wet property, it will get cooler quicker than a dry property. Uh, so, yes, actually, these will make a difference. It's not the same as adding a whole heap of insulation to the outside of your house, yeah. Because you know, when we're talking about external wall insulation or even cavity wall insulation, we're talking maybe 100 mil or in the case of a cavity wall insulation, we're talking 50 millimetres of of insulation. This stuff is like nanomillimeters thick. It's it's very, very thin. But because it keeps the walls dry, if you do it at the end of summer, say, it'll keep the walls nice and dry, it will slow down that rate of heat loss through the winter months. Um, I think one of the things worth mentioning is it doesn't last forever. Yeah. And, and that's where I'd
1: say, so while I agree with the companies that are putting this out to the market, and I think these are fantastic products, mm-hmm. they do stretch their kind of performance a little bit, you know, i.e. Yeah. lifetime guarantees. I don't believe in that, but I certainly do believe in what you've just described. Yeah. I. They are quite effective in the first couple of years of application.
0: Yeah, great. And, and bricks are incredibly porous, you know, they really absorb water. So, if you can make them waterproof with one of these type products, then uh, then it's obviously a decent thing. So, is that, mm-hmm. one, is that one I think so. Yeah. Would you do it?
1: I would, um, I think because I'm, I, well, I've got those stone properties, but uh, I'm, well, I would put external insulation. I've got yeah. no But it's considerably
0: cheaper to go with one of these waterproofing creams.
1: Yeah, I I don't have. I've got a pretty good overhang, I'd say, on my property, so they don't really get that wet.
0: No, 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 fine, fine. But I mean, if it's, I you're would recommend for a if, cheap that's, if that's yeah, if yeah, that's anything you can you sure. do, then yeah, it's good. Next,
1: okay, uh, a question we get quite a lot actually uh, about the glazing quality. So you know, you might have kind of sat there over Christmas, and you know, it's all nice and warm and fuzzy, but then you know, you've got that annoying draft because I don't know, you've got a double glazing system that's been there for for 20 years so I suppose one question is do I replace it with high quality double glazing and if I've had recent double glazing do I go a little bit extra and go for that triple glazing or do do I do nothing at all
0: so double glazing so the very nature of windows and remind me I'm going to mention tomorrow's world in a second but the the very nature of windows Mm -hmm. the fact you have to see through them and they have to be clear Mm -hmm. um, means that we can't really stuff them with insulation, mm-hmm. right? So they are the weakness in the thermal, thermal envelope. The, the The idea between double glazing is you've got two panes of glass and you have something, typically an inert gas, between them, which slows the movement of heat across two argon. panes. You're gonna have on, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now um, they going from single glazing to double glazing works fantastically, and anyone who's seen those adverts in the '90s saying you're gonna save you know, hundreds of pounds a year, they make a big, big difference. They, they were oversold, definitely, then. But it does make a significant difference going from single to double. Even with noise and all this sort of stuff, mm-hmm. it makes a big difference. But in terms of your room being more comfortable, that's massive. Um, the reason I mentioned Tomorrow's World was because they had a thing from the BBC Archive the other day where they were just showing something on Twitter and they um had uh, aerogel, so they mm. so they predicted what was going to happen in the future, and they to be honest they got, this was done in like 1989 yeah. and they were pretty spot on with most things, but the windows they felt could be made with aerogel so aerogel is like um it's like a super insulator um, and basically very very little heat transfers so you mostly in that picture where you've got a burner like a bunsen burner so mm-hmm. a really hot flame on, on firing into the bottom of it and an ice cube on the top. And it, the ice cube doesn't melt, but it's 800-degree you know, yes. pumps and burner yeah. going into it. So in if, if that was a reality, that would just be unbelievable if all windows were made of aerogel. They haven't yet come up with a product, and so we're now you know, 30-odd years later. They haven't come up with a product that is clear and is a fantastic insulator. So they basically went from double glazing, which is two panes with this um, gas between them, to three pegs, so triple glazing. Um, now, triple glazing, again, is an improvement on double glazing. It's still not as good as putting 90 mil of insulation on your mm. external walls. So if I had double glazing uh, that was 20 years old, if I could see through it, I the windows hadn't blown, it wasn't ruining my views out into my garden or whatever, I would um, leave it be. I wouldn't replace it. You're not going to get the energy savings to pay back. The cost are
1: you also goods. limited on triple if you wanted to go for sash windows?
0: With the weight, yeah. Because yeah. you've got three panes of glass there. Um, now, lots of companies at the moment are offering... So if you've got... <coughs> they basically offer double glazing replacements, but will upgrade you to triple glazing for free. Um, is their kind of new marketing pitch. If they can offer it and they work for you, you know, if you've mm. got... Um, as you say the main issue is sash windows because of the weight of them but if you've got you know a standard window their triple glazing is definitely worth it and the cost is obviously coming down all the time but do remember that your windows are always still the weak point of the thermal envelope so
1: basically if you're having to replace them for various reasons i.e your 25 year old aluminium frame double yeah. is given up out then the if you can and if there's not a big difference between double go go triple
0: absolutely go triple
1: however if you're you know some folks who are in the very kind of urbanized center of the cities where you know it's conservation and various things like that you you can't really swap out your sash windows for something like that because you know Regulations don't allow you to do that, so you're a bit limited. Yeah, exactly. you might be able to do it at the back, but again, worth worthwhile checking. Um, Still
0: permit make a note.
1: And uh, yeah, so so on the sash side, even if you wanted a sash triple glaze, it's just because the, the the glass itself, as you said, it's just incredibly heavy. So yeah, practically and not a, a non consideration, I guess.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: But there's, there's there's other things as well. It's it's how um, uh, the windows reacts to, to the other elements of, of the fabric of the property, so to the walls, to how it's joined between the, the reveals well, and this, things like
0: this that? Is, this is um, always it's, it's a query that we get actually all the time um, in relation to the external wall insulation, and that is thermal bridging and how to minimise cold bridging. Now, <clears throat> when you're replacing your window, in theory... You need to remove the window, insulate around the window frame. I've said this a million times, but you insulate around the window frame and then you put a smaller window back in. In reality, no one does it. But as you say, that is what you should do in, in if you were to try and sort of do the perfect yeah. job in terms of energy savings. So you've just got to do what is reasonable, I think, with a lot of this. And had had
1: a gentleman actually, he sent me an email yesterday and what he was thinking in relation to what you've just said. So he's not building a passive house, but he's using some principles from, from the passive house standards. Mm-hmm. So what he's going to do effectively, he he's going to put external wall insulation, but he doesn't want his reveals to go. that So he's putting basically 200 millimeters of insulation, yeah, which is a hell of a lot. yeah. But then he's nice building a nice warm home. But he's then building a structural frame yeah. to then support triple glazing. But then the insulation will house the frame itself. So not only insulate the reveals but the frame itself. Because Very that's fair, what man. the passive standards stipulate. Nice.
0: Yeah, which is goes back to that point about.
1: That because it's a full on conversion, that particular gentleman can, can do that, but not in every house. It's it's not every- And also it's
0: not something you're gonna do on a house you're gonna flip, is it? If you're gonna no. buy a house and sell it two weeks later, it's not the kind of thing you're gonna yes. spend money doing. Anyway, right, next. Oh gosh.
1: Uh <laughs> Next one. Does a power flush make my heating system more energy efficient? And by how much? Ooh.
0: Right. So a power flush. Um, so basically, when you install a new heating system, uh, typically you get iron residues in your radiators where um, the radiators are sort of oxidised with the water that's travelling through them. Um, so a power flush is basically flushing clean water and flushing the whole radiator system under out, pressure, under pressure, and it brings. I don't know if have you ever you've um, oh, when you do your radiators bleeding. Yeah, when you bleed your radiators, mm-hmm. have you ever seen some of the Gun. crappy gunk? I've gum seen a power brush. flash gunk. Yeah, I mean it's it's actually incredible the amount of rubbish mm. in there. Um, does it improve energy efficiency?
1: In principle, I mean it does, but I mean to measure it, and that's a very difficult.
0: Yeah. Point there because so. it's going to inf- improve number one the flow rate so mm-hmm. the water is going to be able to travel around your heating system more effectively um so therefore you know the hot water in your radiator can be emitted out the, or the heat in the hot water could be emitted out so that's you know the purpose and that's how your heating system works so yes it'll run more efficiently um but also it'll stop your boiler clogging up hmm and you can get little um, magnet clean. So before it goes, before the water comes back into the boiler, it goes to essentially a magnet, mm-hmm. and that pulls a lot of this iron ferrous oxide stuff but out. But also
1: they add a chemical once it's flushed, so you <coughs> don't have to flush it every twelve yeah. months. They add a chemical into the into the flow system, and that reduces the the oxidate uh, oxidation process. Yeah.
0: yeah,
1: and with the magnet clean and the magnet clean, so if you get your boiler serviced every 12 months mm-hmm. that's something that the energy efficiency uh, sorry the the plumber uh should you know should clean uh, amongst kind of the other things that they look for in a, in a boiler safety and, and, and gas maintenance check
0: um okay moving mm-hmm. on let's jump to this one uh so this is one and i i can relate to this mhm so the question we get again is, do I need to get a smart meter? So the energy companies are relatively aggressive now in um, trying to push you on to a smart meter. So why is that? Why are they trying to get everyone to get smart meters?
1: Well, well one because we've spent a hell of a lot of money and we've gone this far, yeah. so it's it's so, but that's, that's a, a point, sort of government reason, right? so point of return. So a point of return. But secondly, is we're trying to go from a very planned and unpredictable grid and a very very centralized grid to a more demand responsive real time real pricing real kind of energy flow grid uh so if every household in the country and business had a smart meter in theory uh, you would be able to price energy to the to the second effectively yeah uh, you'll be able to respond to the forces of supply and demand, and then accordingly have the energy prices, you know, in front of front of you there and then. And m- most importantly, uh, the, the point about self billing. So in theory, gone will be the days where you know there'll be a dispute between you and the company about how. Hum- sorry, the energy company or your provider of how much. And electricity and gas you should be paying because it should be reported to them real-time and you should be able to kind of monitor that.
0: So so as you know, so I had a smart meter fitted just before Christmas. So a few things I actually didn't know. Your So number one, um, the big energy suppliers now do offer smart meters for both electricity and gas. Um, whereas when I looked a while ago, it was just on your electricity meter. Um, and basically what happens is your electricity meter specifically has a little uh, a little SIM card, essentially. So it is pinging a message to the energy company and saying, this is what we've used. Now, your gas meter, when you've got a smart gas meter, that talks to your electricity meter. So it gives a reading and then the electricity meter pings both readings mm-hmm. across. Mm-hmm. Um, the They don't take any time to install. And when you do install them, you get the option to specify how often it is sending those readings to the energy company um, mm. Now I imagine in time that will change, and it will be as you know as part of the course that you are going to send a reading every minute or two minutes mm. if we move to these time of use tariffs that you're sort of alluding to um aside from that it's genuinely very easy. It takes two hours. And talks. what did you
1: specify in um, terms of frequency?
0: Uh, I, think Once was, a month? I think it was every half hour. Wow. Okay. I think so. Yeah. I, I mean, it doesn't make any difference for me. No. Uh, the, the other thing that I think is really, really important now and I can't remember the acronym for it and you may be able to because you remember stupid stuff, but there is uh, they're basically the second generation of smart meters now. And that makes an enormous difference. Because if you'd had a first generation installed, then if I move energy suppliers, so say I go to British Gas to NPower, power they won't talk to one another potentially. So, I, so I've got a smart meter, but it becomes meaningless when I move to my en- new energy supplier. Now, this this new models... What the hell is the acronym? I can't remember. So
1: I remember the SEG acronym, but that's nothing to do with... It's something
0: like SMER... SMETS. SMETS. SMETS too. There we go. Right, okay, sorry, Harry, off off camera. Um, Smets too. So so now, when you get one installed, it will definitely talk to your future energy provider, etc. etc. So you've got no issues with switching again now.
1: And I like how your principle when you're telling me about this whole process, how you've tried to do your uh, history learning there. Because, and I tell you, I tell I'll tell the viewers and readers how you've done your history learning there is you went with a uh, energy smart energy meter from British Gas. I did. Because if you go back in time, well, British gas was the monopoly yeah. of energy provision in the UK yep. 25, 30 years ago, prior to privatisation. Yeah. So you think it'll be the trendsetter. So in theory, if you've got a British gas smart meter, and and this is not, but this is your view Yeah, think, it was my view, yeah. So I, did, I saw, yeah. So if you swap, then you know, it's more likely that nothing will go wrong so, with it. So
0: there were two reasons for that. Number one was I, I had a look, and British Gas actually was very cheap. It was up there with the cheapest. And number two, I wanted a big established company installing it, because if it went wrong, I could face dealing with them, but I can't face dealing with someone who has two people in their customer service office. Big six
1: are established. Just to say. Um,
0: so so that's why I did it. But, you know, actually, it's pretty good. It makes things easy. They have a nice online portal and stuff. I've always been scathing about British Gas. And I still am to an extent that with their add-ons, which is the, you know, the monthly fee to if your boiler breaks down, they'll come and fix it because that should be built into the warranty anyway. So that's number one. But number two, the premium they charge for installing a boiler. If I get a British Gas-approved engineer and a standard engineer to install my boiler i'm going to be paying a pretty be... penny for the for the british gas one but but anyways, there it's,
1: yeah okay
0: you know the electricity that comes out is the same
1: here's one that can't really answer directly but it leads on to a discussion the question was what is the cheapest energy tariff to be on
0: Right, cheapest energy tariff. It depends, number one, where you are in the country. There's loads and loads of energy companies out there. Um, I've just switched. And so you've got the established ones, and then you've got lots of little ones. Uh, and the little ones are buying energy off the big ones um, and then selling it. Now, lots of these little ones are now beginning to go under, but some of the, the ones that used to be quite small are now establishing themselves in the market, such as... Uh, who are the, um, the... Over... Yeah, Ovo Energy, good example. There we go. So they, so when we started this, they were very, very small. That's good. <laughs> we <had the> <laughs> when we started this, they were very, very small, and now they're a really big company. Um, so, so some of them are making this work. First utility. Uh, there we go. Showing off. Um, so, but w- but what you need to do really is go to a switching site. Um, so there are loads of these now. So just type change it, change, you know, switch energy supplier into Google, and a plethora. Uh, of options will appear for you to pick,
1: and if you can't be bothered with that, say so say you're forgetful, which sometimes you know I, I get into. I can get into one of those auto-switching companies like uh, Save My, oh Harry knows, look after my bills. L- look look after, after, my after my bills. bills. That's it. So
0: so that and that's the evolution of the switching company. So previously you had to put in what you were using, and and they would you know you would choose who you switched every year. Now they just take care of it all. So that you will literally move from one to the next to the next every year. Um, and it keeps you on the cheapest tariff uh, in principle. Um, now, the, the thing about all these energy companies is they have particular deals um, with some of these switching companies. So some switching companies will prefer some energy supplies. So just be mindful of it. But I would definitely, definitely recommend switching. The number of people who are with British Gas who have been forever and a day and don't switch... Is unbelievable mm. um, because you know, just have a look. Maybe there's no saving there, but they might be able to offer a saving.
1: And if you're in the commercial sector, find yourself a good trusted broker.
0: You don't even need to try and find yourself a good trusted broker. Is the it, amount of that? phone calls I get, yes, about swapping, but are they trusted? I don't know, I, but I, I hate those phone calls a yes. lot. <laughs> So anyway, I now have a stock answer for them. But um, the next one, I don't know the answer to. Do you know the answer?
1: So maybe we can write a list of ones that we know. So the question is about suppliers offer time of use tariffs.
0: Because um,
1: so We tell, can have a look, can have a look.
0: I feel time of use tariffs is going to become very big over this the you know the decade. Because if you've you got a smart meter, yeah,
1: what's the point if it? Just but you want
0: everyone to have smart meters, which is why the government are pushing for it. Before you move to it. Um, the early adopters are getting impatient. That's exactly. Right. Um, this was when we had uh, in just end of last year. So uh, this question is all to do with solar panels. Um, now this is, so solar panels obviously produce electricity and they had an issue with birds nesting under the solar panels because basically there's a gap between the roof and the solar panel. And it's kind of like the perfect height for birds to get underneath. Yeah. Now, um, I've actually, since doing a bit of research, number one, the energy company will offer, essentially they call it sort of pigeon protection mm-hmm. when they're installing your solar panels. So that it creates a barricade to stop any birds nesting under your solar panels. Um, but the the major issue uh, with birds nesting there, and this is the issue that they were getting at, they were essentially crapping all over the solar panels. Yes. Um. Now... In reality, that is much of a bigger issue than people think. Because solar to do with panels... the inverter, isn't it? Yeah, sort of the inverter. So if mm-hmm. you have one central inverter and I have 10 solar panels on my roof, the solar panels will all be operating at the, at the sort of rate of the worst performing solar panel. So if I have one solar panel that happens to be a particular favourite for these pigeons... Yeah, and they're booing all over it. Yeah. And it's operating really inefficiently. My other nine panels would all be operating at that same efficiency. So, suddenly, it actually makes a real big difference to get these panels cleaned. You know, when we're talking about the amount of electricity solar panels can produce if the sun is shining and they're in the right orientation and that sort of thing, it is most definitely worth getting solar panels cleaned. And getting the preventative measures in place to stop them nesting there in the first place.
1: Can I just say to the viewers that uh, no pigeons were harmed in you finding out this research and information, James? Couple,
0: yeah. couple. Um, right. So that's that one. Uh, this one. So this. Uh, uh, oh, we just
1: had an election. Well, we talked about election. Didn't we? Yeah. So,
0: th- so this was. So. Um, now we've got a new prime minister and all things are due to change. And they've got a massive majority and they're trying to change Whitehall. Mm. Um, is DEC going to be reintroduced? Uh, now we in 2011, DEC was when we started all this. Um, department
1: for Energy and Climate Change.
0: Department for Energy, they had their own specialist department and they really took climate change very, you know, very. It was very seriously. important and they took it very seriously. And this is when the Green Deal was launching and the eco sort of funding mechanism was launching. And was it 2014?
1: That's when Cameron came back in, 15. Is in that when got canned?
0: Yeah. Um, and they they basically, they sort of grouped it all up into... Into one department. Into base. base into base. Oh, Which uh, stands for?
1: For business, energy, infrastructure... infrastructure. Um, no. Industrial, Industrial strategy. strategy. Industrial hey, strategy. that's why we got Harry here. Uh, yeah. but, but you know, who knows? We'll have to find out on the first of February. Anyway, after.
0: Do you think Brexit Big Ben's going to ring on the thirty first <laughs> of January?
1: Depends if <laughs> the crowdfunding. Uh, is it half to... a
0: million quid? If they pay me a hundred grand, I will ring it all year long.
1: Well, Bill Cash said he'll physically go up there and ring it himself. I'll ring it. So a uh, hundred
0: yeah. grand. I'd save the government four hundred grand. Anyway. Um,
1: that's what the Brexiteers have been saying but anyway
0: um, so we're kind Gotta of running, running out of time <clears throat> uh, Australian we, bushfires thoughts horrendous Ooh. absolutely horrendous uh, seeing some of the pictures and stuff is it, some of the you know I, this sounds really bad but it's more like the impact on the animals and things that mm. you see it's just heartbreaking yes. uh, and I think you know it is dreadful that Humans have lost their lives, but it's a fraction of the number of of animals um, that are losing their homes and that sort of thing. Um, I I was watching something on Good Morning Britain, which, judge me, I know, yes, occasionally I watch it, Uh, and they had their MP, an an Australian MP came on and he was basically just denying climate change was anything to do with it. Mm. And there was a it was quite an interesting fight between the meteorologist lady on uh on Good Morning Britain and, and this chap. And uh you know, it's just it's too coincidental. It, it feels like
1: the truth is in in, in the middle. Somewhere. Well it's too
0: coincidental that all of this stuff is now occurring more and more and more and more as we are, you know, burning more and more and more fossil fuels. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I feel, I feel that they, they have to be related somehow.
1: So we're accelerating it slightly, but maybe the exaggeration is not as, is not as extreme as what... But,
0: but Potentially, but, but if, we're only, it. if we're only making it worse slightly <clears throat> and, the, and the kind of things we're seeing are horrendous, thank God we're not doing it more. But then I read reports about the sea and, and the oceans basically becoming... That, that is real, yeah. Well, becoming carbon stores, so mm. carbon dioxide stores. So they're becoming more and more acidic because they can absorb this carbon, this excess carbon dioxide that we're, you know, firing out.
1: Or garbage and, holding places. I mean, they've got that place up in the North Pacific, isn't it? It's called the kind of the Trans-Pacific.
0: Oh, with all the plastic and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I did. I just kind of feel that. I mean, that, could, that is absolutely horrendous. We can take visible, a little, a little bit more care of, of everything. Of the planet, yeah. Um, because we're not waiting for that long, so we may as well. Try and be nice to it, which, you know, that's my feelings. Yeah. Um, but the guys that are purposely setting fire to the Australian bush, essentially, should be put in prison for a very, very long time and he's thrown away. The issue is that they've said that the profile is uh,
1: a lot of folks are of a uh, school-going age, so there's only certain things you can do to people that are not adults.
0: Throw them in the seat. No, <laughs> no, I, I, uh, I, I won't comment because I'll get in trouble. Uh, right, so we're we've now going really, to go now. So we've got energy saving news, but it's, it's kind of it's with a twist. So it is just facts and figures on energy saving news. As we enter the new decade, mm-hmm. did you know data centres account currently for two percent of all energy use in the world? Right, so data centres. So this is. Basically, people, you know, saving pictures on Facebook and saving it on Google and doing all this stuff and, and watching, data, watching us, watching et us, etc., etc. Two percent. Now, data—the um, size of data is, is kind of—it's uh, quadrupling every couple of years or something. So I mean, this, mm. so they reckon by two thousand and thirty, so the end of this decade, it'll be eight percent of all electricity used in the world is going to go on running data centers. Sure, no, we'll talk about that in more detail. That's a time. good,
1: yeah, it's a good topic to open. Uh, well, just I mean, come on, going back onto what we we're saying about uh, climate change and stuff, it's worth noting, and you know, giving this country a pat on the back because we, you know, we rarely, rarely do it. We're very, you know, good to criticise stuff, but it's worth just saying. There's a few mm-hmm. facts here, so coal. We have drastically, I mean, drastically reduced the amount of coal. We use. So coal, when you burn coal, it produces some very nasty uh, byproducts. Mm-hmm. Um, nitrogen oxides and sulfur dioxide. Things that are responsible for... And carbon for,
0: dioxide.
1: And carbon dioxide. Things that are responsible for acid rain, CO2 emissions, etc. So as, as, a, as a nation, so since 2006, we were effectively using up to 50% of coal for our electricity generation production. Mm-hmm. As of last year, even in, in our peak quarter, which I call this peak quarter because it's middle of winter, so January, February, March, yeah. we're down to less than 3%. So from, from 50% to 3%, I would say in a well period us. of 13 odd years is is, is pretty darn good.
0: Yeah, it's good. And, and you can see that, um, <clears throat> you know, with wind, for example, uh, has gone up since beginning of 2010. We're looking at 2.5%. And we're now looking at some 2020 between 15 and 20%, which again is an enormous rise. The best thing about this is as we build more and more, the costs are coming down and down. So yes, we still have a problem that it's an intermittent energy source. So you need to have some sort of energy storage, which we haven't yet nailed. But the fact is when a wind turbine is spinning, it is producing clean, free electricity.
1: And... But things to worry on the horizon, I suppose, is is uh, on the baseload power. We're very reliant now on gas and imports. Yeah, majority. Well, not majority, but a lot of that stuff is on LNG. Uh, the the North Sea. We are desperately, you know, we're on low supplies of natural gas, so most of that stuff is imported. Yeah, and um, nuclear power. Uh, it is a low carbon electricity generating source but at the minute with the technology that we've got and what we committed ourselves in i.e. uh, Hinkley Point C very expensive but our legacy power stations are quickly being turned off so
0: 2030 will have one left of the legacy power stations which is means and currently they're producing about 20% of our electricity and they've been doing that for the last 20-30 years no issues and we're going to lose it we've got no succession planning so we're going to have to make up that shortfall from somewhere else. And that is the biggest worry going to this new decade in terms of energy saving. Very back good. It. So we're going to finish up there because we're rambling on now. Um, we, as I said, we, there's been a bit of a delay, us coming back after Christmas. We're back now. We're going to try and do this once a week.
1: Yes, and a lot of uh, good things to look forward to next week. So next week we're into energy saving week. So a lot of initiatives from the UK in terms of blogs, you know we'll try and do another video uh, for that week. It's Just kind of raising people's awareness for things like, um, you know, what are kind of cheap and easy things they can do to be more energy efficient. Um, talking a bit more about switching again. So basically the same themes, you know, to kind of hammer those things um, home uh, of why it's important to save energy and yeah, just obviously you know do our little bit for the planet.
0: Perfect. Very good. Well, listen, Nick, thanks very much. And uh, we will see you uh, next week.
1: See you later.